Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trials stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. As we have previously reported, the trial's jury found Travis McMichael guilty on all nine of the charges against him, including one count of malice murder and four counts of felony murder. His father, Greg McMichael, was found guilty on eight of the nine charges, including four counts of felony murder. William Bryan was found guilty on six of the nine charges, including three counts of felony murder. With those verdicts rendered, we will continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. Today, we return to our series on the prosecution's cross-examination of Travis McMichael. Our coverage on the conclusion of Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's questioning is coming up right after the break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When we left Prosecutor Dunikowski on the morning of November 18th, Travis McMichael was recounting that, for the third time in just a few minutes, he changed direction in his pursuit of Ahmaud Arbery, this time back into the Satilla Shores neighborhood, away from its exit roads. As we previously mentioned, the Satilla Shores streets form an oval, with Satilla Drive turning into Burford Road on one side of that oval. As McMichael catches up to Mr. Arbery along that side of the neighborhood oval where the street is called Burford Road, Mr. Arbery changes direction for a third time, again turning back towards the neighborhood exit. Dunikowski's next set of questions to McMichael seek to clarify what McMichael did when Mr. Arbery made this third attempt to escape the McMichaels. Now, it's true that your father, while in the truck with you, going down Burford towards that end, was yelling at you, cut him off, cut him off, cut him off, right? He was talking to me or was telling me, I don't know if he was saying cut him off or not. I know that he was saying, there he is, that's the guy. Uh, after that, I am not sure exactly what he said. And at this point, you're still yelling at Mr. Arbery to stop at the end of Burford. I, I was not yelling at him at, at, on Burford, no ma'am. And at the end of Burford, you and your dad both got out of the pickup truck, correct? When he turned and started running down Burford, when it was not a threat, yeah, I, was, I got out of the truck, yes ma'am. When he turned and ran, that's when I got out of the vehicle. Why in the world would Mr. Arbery be a threat to you? Because when I was asking what was going on and recognized that it was the guy that I saw on the 11th mm -hmm. and Mr. Albenzi pointing and everything going down and realized that it is him and then how he reacted when I shined the lights on him on the 11th, he acted like he did not want to be he was obviously caught sneaking through the front yard. He was obviously where he wasn't supposed to be, where he hasn't been several times, and then he reaches into his pants, and he has a gun, and that, I took that as a threatening gesture, and walked in the house. 
Now it's the same guy on the 23rd that I've just pulled up to that turned out my father was correct. People pointing down the road, same scene that this happened 12 days prior. But yes, there was a possibility that he may be armed with that gesture, but he didn't show me that and he started running down the road. I was no longer under a threat if there was to be one. So I got out of the vehicle after my father got out of the vehicle to see what was going on and watch him. Prosecutor Dunikowski seeks to pin down Travis McMichael on his thoughts at this moment in his encounter with Mr. Arbery. So when you first pulled up to him, very first time, you confirmed it was him, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. You testified under oath to this jury that I'm not going to chase or investigate someone who is armed, right? That's correct. And yet you want this jury to believe now that he was a threat to you, okay, and that you perceived him as a threat, yet you continued to chase him down Burford. I didn't know if he was a threat or not. He never reached in his pockets, and I wanted to see what was happening. I figured I could talk to him at this point. But hadn't at this point, he demonstrated not once, not twice, but three times, he did not want to talk to you. Because you pulled up to him once, he doesn't want to talk to you. You back up, he doesn't want to talk to you. You pull down Burford, your dad's yelling, cut him off, cut him off. And all of a sudden, he runs back, he doesn't want to talk to you. That's three times he's demonstrated to you that he does not want to talk to you, correct? Yes. He's also demonstrated he's no threat to you. He hasn't pulled out a gun. That's correct. He hasn't said one word to you. He has not. He's not threatened you in any way, verbally or physically. No, ma'am. No knives. No knives. All right. He's not swearing at you, using profanity or anything like that, is he? Didn't talk. Much of this questioning seems intended to undermine McMichael's assertion that his Coast Guard training led him to be mindful of Mr. Arbery's rights during the encounter. So at this point, you get out of the truck, correct? That's correct. You get out with your shotgun. No, I got out when my father got out to get in the back, and then my shotgun slipped and was in the floorboard where my feet were all over it. Once I'm out of the vehicle, I'm on the side of the truck, so at that point, I grabbed the shotgun out of the floorboard and put it back on the seat. At this point, you see Mr. Bryan pull out in his black GMC truck to try and run Mr. Arbery off the road. No, ma'am. It didn't look like he was running him off the road. It actually looked like Mr. Arbery went to the left side and then to the right, and then went back to the left. It looked like he was engaging with that vehicle. And you want this jury to believe that you thought Mr. Arbery was the one engaging in this black vehicle, not that the black vehicle was trying to hit him or run him off the road. That's One of the question you want this jury to believe, I think that's an improper form of the question. I think you can ask him questions and he can answer, but to insinuate that he has some motive for the jury to believe is cross-examination. Thank you. So you want this jury to believe that it's Mr. Arbery who's the aggressor with the black truck, not that the black truck's the one trying to run him off the road to help you. I didn't see the truck trying to run him off the road. What I saw from down there, what I saw the vehicle looked to be at a stop and Mr. Arbery was engaging the vehicle. And then Mr. Arbery was able to get away from the black vehicle. He ran past the vehicle. And your dad wanted to go down there to see what was happening, right? That's correct. But you wanted to go around to cut him off? No, ma'am. I wanted to get around and to see where he was at, not to cut him off. Not the way you're saying cut him off. No, I wanted to see where he was at, to be in that same area to let the police know where he was coming. Dunikowski suggests that Travis McMichael is trying to rewrite the history of the encounter with Mr. Arbery, referring McMichael to his own statement to the police, which he gave shortly after the shooting. Page 23, line 16. 
So he turned and went back down this road. Dad's like, hey, go down there. I said, I'm not going through that. I'm not going back to him. And this is about the time that the black truck that was at the scene, that's when he tried to stop it. Yes. All right. So here you're telling the police the black truck at the scene was trying to stop Mr. Arbery. That's what I was believing, yes. Prosecutor Dunikowski then prompts Travis McMichael to recount his decision to defy his father's insistence that he chase Mr. Arbery. Instead, McMichael repeated that he looped around the neighborhood oval and made a left turn onto Holmes Drive, which bisects the oval and took the McMichaels back towards where they last saw Mr. Arbery and the black pickup truck. So you came around Holmes and you were a few houses down when you encountered Mr. Arbery and yelled at him once again, stop, stop. Is that right? I think I had it wrong on here. Uh, Like I said, once I was bouncing back and forth, trying to explain everything that happened that that I misspoke on there. I don't know where I would say to stop, stop. Uh, Isn't it true that at this point in time, when you're a few houses down, homes... You stop, you get out, you yelled him, stop, stop. That's when your father yelled at him, stop, or I'll blow your fucking head off. I don't think so, no, ma'am. Right, well, you don't think so? I mean, you were standing right there. You heard your father say this, yes? I, I don't think I heard him say that, no, ma'am. But you know that's what he told the police he said. I've been here in court is what I heard, yes, ma'am. So at this point, you're coming down homes, and you see... Mr. Arbery coming toward you? Uh, the first time I saw him on Holmes. He was in the middle of a turn, turning back towards Satilla on Holmes. When I came around the dog leg, the black truck and Mr. Arbery were together and were heading towards me on Holmes. And at that point, he's pinned between the two vehicles. He was. McMichael next asserts that the pickup truck and Mr. Arbery passed him on Holmes. Mr. Arbery was running alongside the truck, grabbing at the uh, mirror and the door. And then that's when they split, when they were coming into my lane, that's when they split. Mr. Arbery was on the passenger side and I was at a stop and they passed me. I let Mr. Arbery run by and I let the vehicle pass me. The black vehicle turned, went back into his lane and then was following Mr. Arbery as they went around that dog leg. Prosecutor Dunikowski asks McMichael to clarify the divergence of this testimony from his own statement to police. All right, so I'm going to ask you about this whole thing about on Holmes, Mr. Arbery is trying to attack a truck, is what you said yesterday, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. You never told anyone that in any of your statements, did you? I did not. And that's something you've now told this jury for the very first time, correct? Uh, Yesterday, yes. You never mentioned that he was running alongside the black truck in any of your statements? In the statements, no. All right. You never mentioned that you were worried about the person in the black truck because you saw the person trying to attack his truck? Can I refer to the next? Sure. No, I just say that he's running back to that truck. I did not say that that he was uh, attacking that vehicle. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Donikowski now leads McMichael into recounting his final confrontation with Mr. Arbery. As she questions him, she periodically plays sections of the video recorded by defendant William Bryan. And at this point, he's pinned between the two pickup trucks. He is between, he is between two pickup trucks, yes, ma'am. All right, so we're going to freeze frame it right here. You've raised your shotgun at him at this point. At that point, I did, yes, ma'am. Okay. And he's 30 to 40 yards away from you. That's, that's what I put on the, uh, that's what I said in the statement and wrote, I believe. Um, thank you back on it now. I, th- I think it was 30 to 40 feet. And at this point right here, hasn't said anything to you? He, no, he has not said anything yet. No, ma'am. Hasn't verbally threatened you? Verbally, no. Still running with his hands at his sides. Directly towards me, yes, ma'am. Hasn't pulled out a gun. Uh, hasn't seen a gun we- a weapon yet, no, ma'am. And hasn't hasn't shown you a weapon this entire time. He has not. Hasn't said a word the entire time. Not one time. All he's done is run away from you. Run past me, yes, ma'am. And you pulled out a shotgun and pointed it at him. Running directly towards me. And this is now the second time on the road coming directly and then watching how he interacted with the pickup truck uh, in that general location when I pulled up the first time, attacking the truck, and then seeing him interact with the vehicle on Burford, seeing that the police are coming, I'm turning and running on top of seeing Mr. Albenzi pointing and the whole February 11th episode. I was under the impression this guy can be a threat and he is coming directly to me Yes, I pointed the shotgun at him to deter him from coming directly to me, which was effective at that point there. So you're under the impression, is that right? You're under the impression, because of all those things that you just mentioned, that what, that he could be a threat to you? Yes. Donikowski lets this statement hang in the air for a moment, contrasted against the video image of a white man standing next to his pickup truck, pointing a shotgun at an unarmed running black man. Your father is in the pickup truck, correct? Yes, ma'am. And he has his 357 Magnum, correct? He has it, yes. All right. And this is when you finally have given him the phone and said, call 911. Uh, seconds before this, when I dialed 911, after I realized that I was misunderstood that he has not called 911 and realized the error and called and then gave my dad the phone once I saw Mr. Arbery coming back at me this third time. And your father had 30 years of law enforcement, is that correct? Uh, I believe so. 
All right. So, and he knows how to take care of himself, doesn't he? He knows how. Oh, I know. And he's got a handgun with him, right? Yes. And he's on higher ground, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, I, I would say higher ground. I'd say vulnerable. And you never once, anywhere in your police statement, said you were ever worried about your father or him being attacked at all. Never said that once in any of your statements. Uh, in the statements, I guess not. No, no. So at this point, you and your dad are both yelling at Mr. Arbery to stop. I am yelling. Uh, I'm sure my dad is, but I was not paying attention to what my father was saying. All right. So at this point in time, you are <coughs> right next to your pickup truck in the doorway, right? I'm right in the crux of it. Yes, ma'am. All right. All right. And Mr. Arbery is moving this way and then he's moving that way, correct? Yes, correct. And you have now moved yourself out of that crux of the doorway into the roadway. Is that right? Yes, because when when I drew down on him and then he, because he was coming directly toward me, focused in on me, and I drew down on him, he immediately broke his direction and went to the right. When he went to the right, I came to the left to gain distance. I was trying to gain distance. Gain distance. So you're expecting that he should take action to get away from you because you're pointing a shotgun at him. I was not wanting him to charge me, to attack me, which I was assuming was happening, yes. So him running down this road, being pursued by Mr. Bryan's truck, is him attacking you? The last time that I saw Mr. Bryan's truck was when I was at a stop just before where I'm at now, mm -hmm. and he was all over that truck. And they left, and I was, I never saw that truck turn around and then Mr. Arbery is coming back to me. I was thinking, all right, he's going to try to get in this truck, or he's going to try to attack me, or my dad, or who knows what. And all he had done so far is run away from you, right? He has ran past me and uh, ran away, and, I've, and I let him run away, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. But at this time, you're not letting him run away, you're pointing a shotgun at him, correct? I am not letting him run to me, directly to me. And he doesn't. The video image seems to directly contradict Travis McMichael's statement that he was trying to gain distance on Mr. Arbery as he moves around his door and then not away from him, but around the front of his truck towards Mr. Arbery as if seeking to cut him off. Mr. Arbery, who at first appears to be running diagonally away from the McMichaels and their truck, suddenly swerves back in McMichael's direction around the right front of the truck. He runs around there, right? He did. Mm-hmm. And comes around that corner, and you have closed the distance yourself on him, haven't you? I have gone to the front of my truck. You have moved out in the road. You've aimed this truck in at Mr. Arbery. I did. Mr. Arbery goes to the passenger side of the truck. Yes. Okay. Your dad is still yelling at him because we can hear him go, stop, goddamn it, stop, right? Yes. You could have easily just stepped back to your pickup truck and watched him keep going, right? I could have, yes, but I was, I still didn't know what he would, could have done right there where I couldn't see him. If he's gonna to try to come to the truck, I will be right there. So I was thinking that he was a threat, that he might go after myself, my father, or the truck. I wanted to be right there to deter him or to be able to handle it if I needed to. So you also could have stepped around the back of the truck and followed him in the path that way. Is that right? 
Yes, but then he would have an open, unrestricted run around the truck and into my open door into my pickup truck and hooked into the truck. So you're telling this jury that a man who has spent five minutes running away from you, you're now thinking is somehow going to want to continue to engage with you, someone with a shotgun, and your father, a man who's just said, stop or I'll blow your fucking head off, by trying to get in their truck? That's what it shows, yes ma'am. He comes around the front of the truck and you are right there with that shotgun, correct? I was coming around and then as soon as I was at the front corner panel, he turned and yes, we were we were uh, we were on each other. Is that your head right here? That is my head. Right. You heard the medical examiner testify that Mr. Arbery's hand was between him and the shotgun and he was shot here into his torso, correct? That's the theory, yes ma'am. That was the medical examiner giving his opinion, correct? His opinion, I'm sorry, correct. Okay. And you saw the digital evidence that backed that up with the arterial spurt from his arm, correct? Yes. You testified yesterday that Mr. Arbery grabbed your shotgun. That's correct. Do you remember Detective Nohilly specifically asking you if he grabbed your shotgun? I do. And you then told Detective Nohilly that he came up, meaning Mr. Arbery, and that I think that's when he hit me or started striking. He was on me. He had my shirt, you know, or something to that point. I had the gun. I was too close to draw down on him. And Detective Nohilly specifically asked you, do you remember if he grabbed the shotgun at all? And your response was, I want to say he did, but honestly, I cannot remember. I mean, we were, me and him were face to face the entire time. Do you remember saying that? Yes, and I was trying to think of that exact moment. Um, trying to give him, as, like I said, trying to give him as much detail as possible under the stress and all this going on. Um, it was obvious that he had the gun from what I was saying in here, rereading it, that he had the weapon the way that I was describing it. Um, but why I said he did not have the gun at that second, I don't know why. But, uh, but yeah, I'm at it. That's what I said. I, I want to say he did, but I honestly cannot remember. So you didn't shoot him because he grabbed the barrel of your shotgun. You shot him because he came around that corner and you were right there and you just pulled that trigger immediately. No, I was struck and he was, we were face to face and being struck and that's when I, when I shot. So he came up, I think it was when we were hit, he started striking, he was on me, he had a shirt or you know, something to that point, and I had the gun. And I was too close to draw on him. So you're saying that all of that took place, he's got your shirt, he's striking you, you've got the gun up in this thing, and you can't draw down on him, and it's just, it's a struggle, and he's on you, and you're going back and forth in front of the truck, is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. The video of McMichael's shooting of Mr. Arbery now plays. It all happened so fast that it seems difficult to imagine that Mr. Arbery had time to grab McMichael's gun, let alone strike him before that first shot was fired.
Prosecutor Dunikowski lets the timing speak for itself and then punctuates the video by reminding McMichael of where Mr. Arbery was struck by the shotgun pellets. Is that what happened? That's on the video, yes ma'am. Okay. And he was shot right here in the torso and it all came up, all pellets right back here. Okay? So your gun was parallel to the ground. Yes? Yeah, if you grab a shotgun and snatch it away, it will straighten a shotgun out. Yes, ma'am. It happened so fast, and trying to recall and everything, I've obviously missed every minute detail. The prosecutor concludes her examination by making three points that she will want the jury to remember as they deliberate. First, she emphasizes the choices made by McMichael in those minutes just after 1 p.m. on February 23rd, 2020. All right, so let's talk about some of the things that you chose not to do with this matter, okay? You could have made sure that you and your dad called the police from your house at 230 Satilla Drive before you ever got in that pickup truck, correct? I could have, but I was under the impression that he has called the police when we left there. And you could have just continued to drive behind Mr. Arbery and not even speak to him or confront him at all. Isn't that true? I could have, yes. And you could have just let him run away when he took off in front of Mr. Bryan's house. From the Night Owl video we saw, you could have just gone, okay, he's running. We'll just, you know, let him go or just drive behind him really slowly, right? Could have and did after I let, after I realized that he was not going to talk to me and turn around around with And you could have stayed in your truck over on Holmes Drive, right? Could have, yes. And you could have stayed in your truck until he ran by and then driven away to go ahead and follow him, right? I could have, yes. Not once during your statement to the police did you say that you and your father were trying to arrest Mr. Arbery, did you? In the statement? Yeah, to the police. Uh, no, ma'am. All right. You never told the police that you said to Mr. Arbery, you're under arrest, correct? I did not. Okay. In fact, you never did tell Mr. Arbery, you're under arrest for the crime of fill in the blank. I didn't have time. I was still trying to get him to stop. Next, she calls attention to what she asserts is evidence of Travis McMichael's vigilante mindset. Let's talk a bit about your attitudes towards sort of vigilanteism, okay? Um, you've posted several times on Facebook some things, and we talked about one of them in response to Kim Ballesteros, where it's like, you're playing with fire on this side of the neighborhood. Do you remember posting that? Yes. All right. And in response to another post about crime on July 1st, 2019, a post by Lindy Kofer, your first response was, arm up. Do you remember that? Uh, would you like to see it? Yes, please. Okay. I would. Is that a fresh recollection that you said to arm up? Yes, ma'am, it does. In January of 2019, do you recall having a Facebook conversation with a Lacey Allison Cox. I do. She said, we've had a lot of trouble with thieves. It just worries me because my daddy is slap old crazy, LOL. He's old as dirt and doesn't care about jail. And you responded, 
That's what this world needs more of. My old man is the same way. I did say that, yes, ma'am. And then the next line is, you said, hell, I'm getting that way. I did say that. She said, have to make an example out of somebody. You said, that's right. Hope y'all catch the vermin, correct? I did. And finally, Dunikowski calls attention to a quote from McMichael's own attorney, which she seems to use to suggest that McMichael's rash decision-making was a product of his own false sense of urgency. So your attorney has repeatedly stated um, a a reoccurring theme here for you, that when seconds count, the police are minutes away. You heard him say that numerous times? I've, I've heard him say it, yes. Okay. Is that your statement? It's not. Then why is your attorney saying that? I guess that's what he believes. Okay. That's not what you believe. I can agree with that, but I've, I don't think I've said that. I'll go ahead and pass the defendant back. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. Join us on our next episode for our look at defense attorney Jason Sheffield's redirect examination of Travis McMichael and for our discussion of Prosecutor Dunikowski's cross-examination with Georgetown Law professor, MSNBC analyst, and one of the nation's most frequently consulted scholars on issues of race and criminal justice, Paul Butler. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, the killing of Ahmad Arbery.